Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast about everything related to the vagina, from sex to health and the society. My name is Nicole and I am your producer and host. Yo, I'm damn excited. I love talking about menstruation, I really do. I love it simply because understanding my cycle, what causes cramps, and how to manage it has made my life a whole lot better. You might recall on our very first episode, I basically TMI'd about my years of suffering with menstrual cramps, and then going into what causes cramps and what alleviates it. If you haven't given it a listen, you can tune into it on Spotify, iTunes, or whichever platforms you use to listen to podcasts. The title is Cramps Suck, period. I know, really cute. This episode is going to be a long overdue follow-up. We're going to talk in depth about the four stages of the menstrual cycle, address common myths and misconceptions around hymens, sexuality, and of course, tackle the long-awaited topic, menstrual health care, which includes pets, tampons, and period cups. This episode is so important because everyone is different and knowing your own cycle can help you make decisions to improve your mental health, understand why you're feeling a certain way on a certain day and help others who are not bleeding, yes, your boyfriends, understand your moods. Don't let anyone gaslight you for having PMS, okay? You need to figure out what works best for you. So let me introduce our guests for today. Hi, I'm Olivia Coates-James. I'm the founder and CEO of Luna Naturals. I'm 29 years old and I've been working on bringing this company to life since early 2016. We exist to make periods better for our bodies, for the planet and for our sisters in need across the world. The reason Luna exists is just because I myself, first and foremost, saw a problem that was affecting my life was affecting the life of the women I love and then came to learn just how many women beyond those that I know it was affecting. I'm assuming that this is a question that you probably get a lot, right? Why the focus on like menstrual healthcare in in Asia, especially I think in the context of a society that is quite like conservative? During those two years I was living in Hong Kong between 2013 and 2015, I was oftentimes, as many women still do to this day, I was required to bring a suitcase full of tampons back to Hong Kong every time I went back to the UK. The lack of access to tampons was a real issue, certainly 2013, 2014. Still, even now, you can't just walk into any kind of Mannings on your street corner or 7-Eleven. There are some brands there, but they don't have a very good selection. And those products are oftentimes, because they're imported products, they cost more. So (laughs) as you might smuggle drugs in your suitcase and be really ashamed and secretive about it, you would also smuggle tampons and pads even sometimes um, with the same shame and secrecy. So this was kind of the just accepted narrative for women I didn't think anything of this and just accepted it as a necessity until in 2015. I mean, picture this, me at the check-in desk at Heathrow Airport, about to board a flight back to Hong Kong. And due to being a terrible packer, 
I was over the weight limit for my luggage. And this resulted in me having to frantically unpack all my stuff, predominantly this large stash of tampons in front of a very long queue of people. And this kind of revealed to me two things I'd never thought before. Firstly, hold on a second, why? in 2015 does my suitcase have to be filled with basic feminine care products and secondly why am I so embarrassed that all of these people have seen that I use tampons and when I landed in Hong Kong I was resolute that I would do more research into this and so I just started and I'm sure it is as weird as it sounds I started um, tampon workshops so many women were intrigued by this conversation and very quickly revealed were so unhappy with not just pads but just with their entire relationship with menstruation because no matter who came to those workshops what age they were where they were from their educational background we were all united in exactly the same shame fear confusion about our bodies and after I realized that I knew that I had to do something to push forward the conversation around menstrual health. I'm just such a firm believer in the fact that education is the, the key to change. So a huge part of Luna Naturals is actually education because as many of you would attest to we weren't really taught the female anatomy in school and I think the danger in that is really when you don't fully understand something and then you try to overcome it. It's like, how do you do that, right? Knowledge is really power. So the more you know, the better you can understand, which therefore leads to an increased independence and efficiency and a general improvement towards how you do things. The female reproductive area has generally like four parts, more or less. And we start from the outside and then we go in, right? So there's like the, the vulva, the vagina, the cervix, and then the womb. There's a huge misusage of the terminology. Every time someone talks about like menstruation, they're like, oh, the vagina, the vagina. But the reality is that the vagina is just one part of it, right? I think a lot of times people are referring to like the vulva. I think semantics. Are really important. They are, it is important that we pay attention to the different areas of a woman's body and what they are called. For example, knowing more about the vulva, the clitoris, everything that is incorporated in the vulva, it's really important that we separate that from the vagina, which is like the muscular canal through which you might have a baby, for example. So a woman's menstrual cycle begins in her womb. Every month, the lining of the uterus sheds and the cervix opens slightly to allow blood to pass through the vagina canal and then out of your vagina hole, which exists inside of your vulva. Most people, in fact, with my research in mind, nobody knows that there are four stages to the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And these are menstruation, the follicular phase, ovulation, and the luteal phase. Now, it's really important to caveat all of this information with everyone's different. It's important that we find our own rhythm and seek our own understanding of our own health. But this is a guideline 
that at least can give a basic understanding of the hormonal changes, the symptoms that might occur, and some of the ways that we, through our anecdotal evidence, think you can shift those symptoms with simple lifestyle changes to optimize your life. So here are some of the main hormones, certainly not all of the hormones, but we've got estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and follicle-stimulating hormone. Nicole, how many of these were you familiar with before you saw the flower? I feel attacked. I only know like two. <laughs> I, I remember when I first learned a few years ago that women, that testosterone played such an important role in women's menstrual cycles. And I was baffled because I assumed it was just a male yeah. hormone. Yeah. So to see it play such an essential role in my own well-being was very surprising to me. So we try and encourage us to use this information as a way to take a deeper understanding of the changes that occur in their lives. And this is where cycle syncing, something that is gaining momentum across the world, really comes into play. And I couldn't endorse the idea of cycle syncing enough it's really allowed me to have a better understanding of my physical and men mental health. I've learned that I, that I digest different situations in a different way, depending on where I am in that cycle. And although it's not always possible, I try and adapt my life according to those changes. So when women start cycle syncing, they, like me, will start to say, oh, if I can avoid it, I would never have a difficult conversation during my luteal phase for example, because I know that information that was that might be shared with me or a reaction of somebody, I will digest very differently during that phase to how I might deal with it during ovulation, for example, when I'm feeling more energetic. It's basically keeping track of where you are in your particular um, monthly cycle, am I right? It is. I think people tend to think about the menstrual cycle as, oh, every month at this time I get sad. Mm. But... If you're going to do cycle syncing properly and come at it from a more empowered perspective, it's what are also the positive changes that you go through throughout the month? Because I think people focus on, for example, period skin, bad period skin, and when that happens every month. But when people start to cycle sync, they also see where during the month they have their best, most glowing skin. Mm. And I think again switching the narrative to focus on the positives and celebrate the positives of our cycles alongside figuring out ways to alleviate the negatives is really really important so we've broken this down stage by stage the first stage that we refer to is the one that everybody knows that is menstruation so this can differ but it's typically between three to five days long so during this time this is when as you might know, the uterus is shedding its lining if, of course, you are not pregnant. Not only are we bleeding during this time, but it's important to know that we are going through a significant drop in many of our hormones. So pro pro progesterone, for example, decreases rapidly during this time of the month. And when hormones change to such an extent, of course, there are going to be changes that occur physically and mentally and you can see some of these li listed on the side here so nicole do you suffer from any of these symptoms during your period definitely something i feel i feel really tired i feel 
really sad. In fact, my last period cycle that just came, the day before my period came, I literally sat in my room and like, I just cried for an hour. <laughs> I was like, okay, tend to check my period app and I was like, oh, it's coming. That's why. <laughs> yeah. That's are doing that up. It really is. And I think not to, not to scare anybody that has sadness or anxiety or, or any of these symptoms during their period, but again, if those symptoms are impacting your life, if you are feeling so sad, you do cry a lot or you feel sad for long periods of time, it's really important that we don't accept that as normal mm. because I think it's something like one in 10 women actually have PMDD, mm -hmm. which is a hormone imbalance that leads specifically to things like feelings of depression, anxiety. So it's, it's fundamentally a hormone imbalance that you can either treat with simple lifestyle changes or you might need to seek medical help. Mm. But we don't talk about this and nobody knows about PMDD because again, we are just conditioned to think that you're just unlucky if you're suffering those kinds of symptoms and that nothing can be done. I think the idea of PMDD is not as like well known as like PMS. People often think that, you know, if you feel tired or sad or anxious, it's just because like these are PMS, right? They are menstrual like symptoms, right? So what is is what you're saying that, you know, if you feel um overwhelming feelings of like anxiety, for instance, right, that we should look to seeking some level of professional help. Yeah, or do your own research, right? As a mm -hmm. first step, I think, and I think the most empowering thing we can do as men or, or women, however you identify, is to do your own research. Because unfortunately, things like PMDD or endometriosis, that enormously high numbers of women have, still take up to a decade to diagnose because we are. We are dismissed by mm. friends, family members, doctors as just having bad periods. The amount of, of women I've spoken to that have been dismissed from doctors, by doctors, for years during which their conditions like endometriosis or PCOS worsen to oftentimes an incurable extent by the time they're fi finally diagnosed there are just so many people I've encountered with stories like that. So I'm really, really emphatic about doing your, your own personal research. I think there's always a risk when it comes to like Googling symptoms. I appreciate that, but that's why I think it's really important to read so much around these subjects because as a first step, we should be going to our doctors armed with an understanding ourselves. So the second phase is the follicular phase, which can be around 10 days long. And you've just finished your period. So all of those main hormones that have been decreasing rapidly during menstruation are now starting to rise again. And this is where your mm. eggs are once again growing, preparing to be potentially fertilized during intercourse. Many women that we speak to talk about things like more energy, having more positive mood, having more brain power, and this being really the phase of their cycle where they can go forth and really tackle some of the things that they would not have wanted to tackle during menstruation. So be it something, a work project, or um, 
you know, a personal situation that you want to address now that you're feeling better and, and having more energy. Indeed, when it comes to, to exercise, I think this is a great time to start increasing the intensity of your workouts again. Lots of people we've spoken to attest to their sex drive. Lots of people talk about how they might be specifically very horny, as we put here, during this follicular phase. When you can understand that your sex drive fluctuates according to hormonal changes, that can really be a very empowering notion because not only do you then get to understand when you have more sex drive and why, but importantly, why you might not have as high a sex drive and why. So moving on to stage three, which is ovulation, this can be around two days long. Those hormones, again, still increasing, increasing, increasing. And for many women, this is where they feel perhaps they're most attractive, we put here. And people might say that focusing on something like feeling your most attractive is perhaps quite superficial. But again, it's about reshifting the narrative. Why do we always have to talk about when we feel our most unattractive during our period? We get spots at certain times of the month. Our hair might be more limp because of these physical changes. Let's start celebrating. But, oh my God, you look like you've got such great ovulation skin on, the, uh, on another day, you know? Like, we need to celebrate these things if we are to shift the focus. For many people during ovulation, this really is a time that they feel most equipped to have difficult conversations. And that could be anything from the way that you psychologically digest information because of these hormonal changes to maybe just being able to handle situations because you feel you look better than you did at a different time of the month. Whatever it might be, this is how much attention to detail we need to give our cycles to really understand how we can live to our full potentials throughout the month and then finally the luteal phase which is where typically pms or pmt will occur so this is when after those main hormones have really surged during the month the previous two phases they will start to decrease preparing for menstruation so if your egg has not been fertilized, this is where your body is starting to realize that um, you aren't pregnant and prepare therefore for another round of menstruation. And this is where I think these negative symptoms like bloating and cramps, feeling emotional can start to appear. You will see, however, that we've put some positive consequences of the luteal phase in this slide, such as just feeling calmer, having a clear mind. And whilst those positive symptoms might really seem to conflict with those negative symptoms, the point of including them here is to really prove that people who have been able to like, do, tap into cycle syncing, so cut certain things out during different phases of the month, maybe increase their exercise in different ways or eat differently, they've been able to reduce their negative symptoms and tap into these more positive symptoms. So to give you an example, I have a friend who actually very recently cut out drinking coffee during the luteal phase and her cramps, which she suffered from for years, have immediately stopped. How did she know, like, figure out that it's the coffee that gave her like cramps during the luteal phase? 
to be honest, it was a lot of reading, a lot of research and a lot of trial and error. So that's why you have to be really invested in this journey. It might take you so much trial and error until you realize what the key is for you. And so it really, we, we, should, we should enjoy the process, yeah. eat differently, read different literature around it. And it takes time, it takes commitment, but it's worth it, obviously, if, particularly if you're somebody that suffers throughout the month with negative symptoms. Prior to, to, we, to this episode we did on menstruation, we did ask like our listeners, you know, what are some ways that you guys have figured out to cope with like your cramps? And I think a lot of them said like, we tried out eating different foods for, so for some, some people if they had like um salty foods before their menstruation then they would experience cramps so they usually would cut out like salty foods a week before and then i had another friend who was like if i have regular sex you know leading up to my menstruation it gives me really bad cramps which is really really interesting and i think that it points to the fact that you know like there's no one size fits all and like there's a different formula for every person right totally and I think the sex thing that you just mentioned is very interesting because I have a friend who swears by the fact that sex relieves her cramps interesting that's why it's important not to feel frustrated if something that works for a friend of yours doesn't work for you you might literally be the opposite Hmm. Something Private is a podcast produced by WeFM. Our first ever episode, ever, was on menstrual cramps and tips on how to handle it. We dish out a lot of really interesting fun facts, from how your diet can affect your cycle, to the pink tax, which is the concept of paying more for products that have been feminized. Catch the full episode on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. And tell us... What is one period hack that you swear by? Drop us a DM on Instagram at somethingprivatepod or email us at nicole at somethingprivate.fm Leading on to the next point, which is um, the different menstrual health options available to women. And we did kind of address this just now with the tampons, with the pads, the cups. The idea of using the menstrual cup has been very popular um, for women around our age group and I think that it's a lot of, that there are a lot of common questions and misconceptions around it but one really really like common question that people have is how do you use the cup? I can break it down into I think what people cite as the biggest barriers to adoption. Mm. So I think the first thing that people are really concerned about is they look at the cup and they think how the hell does that tiny cup hold all that blood? Mm. And the first thing that I ask them is how much blood do you think the average menstruator loses during that period? The average menstruator mm. will lose between 45 and 65 milliliters of blood throughout their whole period, which means immediately the notion of using one of these cups becomes a lot less terrifying. I will side note here with saying that it's really important that we know how much blood we lose because if you're losing over 80 milliliters of blood, that is considered medically heavy bleeding and could be the result of a hormone imbalance or a more serious medical condition. So I do say, even if you don't use the cup every single month, 
why not just buy one, use it every few months, just to at least check how much blood you're losing, because that's a really important indicator of your physical and mental health. When it comes to other barriers that I think people have, people ask, how does that cup go into my vagina? And so the important thing to realize with the cup is that there are lots of different folds that you can try. And it's really important that you find the right fold for you if you're going to have a successful experience. So I started with the petal fold, which is the fold I recommend for all new users because it really reduces the surface area of the cup. So for me, I was started using the petal fold, but I kept finding that no matter what, for some reason, I would just leak. Mm. So the cup wasn't popping open inside of me like it should do completely. It was always slightly puckered against my vaginal wall therefore I would leak. So when I got a bit more comfortable, I just switched to the C fold, mm. which you can see here. And since then, I've never ever leaked. Mm. I can insert so quickly, it pops open, it um, adheres to my vaginal wall correctly, and I've never ever ever leaked. So there are a few important variables that you need to bear in mind when using the cup, and finding the right fold is absolutely one of them. Finding the right size, we have two sizes here. And indeed, finding the right shape, cups are different shapes, different sizes, and different densities. Once you've found your right fold, and I've only shown you two of them, there are a few more, but these are the main ones that we like to talk about the sea and the petal. Yeah. And I think it's quite like obvious why it's called that, right? I mean, it literally looks like a petal and a C. Yeah, I think we could get a bit more creative. Maybe we should call this the smiley. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. I like that. So once you find the right fold, it's really a case of inserting. And because of the design of the cup, it will adhere to your vaginal walls. You do have to check that it isn't puckered. Obviously, you'll leak. Now that can be solved by running your finger around the base of the cup to check that it's open. Or you can just, for me, I've got a very long vaginal canal. Yep. So the entrance of my vagina to my cervix is quite long. So for me, sometimes I do like to do a bit of a situation where I squat and stand up once I've inserted the cup so that it can find its sweet spot in my vaginal canal. This is where I say the phrase vaginal canal 5,000 times <laughs> in five minutes. The vaginal canal is really important because it's how you most accurately choose your cup size. Your vaginal canal is from, let's call this the entrance to my vagina. Okay. And here's my cervix. Okay. So that length between is how long your vaginal canal is. Some women have a really short vaginal canal. So they would be able to insert their fingers into their vagina and they can feel their cervix, which feels quite rough. Yeah. They'd be able to feel that in between their tips and their knuckle. Yeah. Whereas for me, sometimes even when I stick my whole fingers in, you can't feel it. Okay. Okay. Once you understand that, you'll be able to choose which cup size that you that is best for you. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like I said, for me, there's a real sweet spot in yeah. my vaginal canal where my cup will sit. But yeah. sometimes it just naturally takes a little bit of a, a wiggle to get it there. 
I want to kind of go over for like first time users, right? What are some of like the misconceptions or like myths that should be dispelled or like, yeah, like you commonly have heard of? Uh, I think a lot of people are concerned with some key points, including will I lose my virginity if I insert, like if I use the cup? It's really shifting a cultural understanding of what virginity is. Because the idea that insertion of something into the vagina can take your virginity, so the idea that a tampon could take your virginity or a cup can take your virginity, is oftentimes linked to the, the false belief that all women have hymens that are popped during first-time heterosexual penetrative sex. Our hymens can be popped when we are 10, riding a bike or we could be born without hymens that are fully intact. It's a really false belief that we do need to fight against. And therefore my, my view is that products cannot take your virginity. Mm. Sex is something that happens between two people. Um, it doesn't have to be a vagina with a penis even. That's the kind of definition of sex we should be upholding and celebrating. And therefore, it's really not that cups or tampons take virginities. It's let's redefine what the concept of virginity is. But it's also rooted in science. Not every woman has a hymen to be broken. And that's something we need to shout about because not everything that goes in or around or near the vagina is sexual. Our periods are not related to like our sexuality. They are separate, distinct things. And that's really important because if we don't tackle that, our vaginas, our vulvas will always be shrouded in mystery and mysticism and be seen as these both exclusively shameful and very sexual parts of our bodies. I think one other concern that people have is on the idea of how long you can keep it up there as well as like how to clean it when you are in public so you can wear the cup for up to 12 hours which means for many women when it comes to knowing when to change it that's just a trial a trial an error i guess hopefully no error but certainly a trial that you have to go through and it's a really important part of understanding your flow So for anybody that thinks, oh, I know that you can wear it for up to 12 hours, but how am I going to change it so much? Because I have really heavy periods. Take it from a woman who has pretty heavy periods. You don't need to change it that frequently. And again, it's a really good opportunity to find out how much you are bleeding. That said, I do understand that not all bathrooms accommodate nicely for being able to change your cup. It's like a process of milestones that you go through. I do recommend trying at home for the first few months or wearing a pad just to protect you in case you have any leaking. If you are working from home at the moment, that's a great use of your time. But when you are out and about and you do want to change it, it's not as terrifying as it sounds. If you're somebody like me and you always have a reusable water bottle with you, you simply go, go to the bathroom, you take your cup out, So the important thing about removal is never just yank down. That's not going to work. The way the cup is designed is that you need to pinch. Mm. And because of the little holes around the top, as soon as you pinch, 
the sides of the cup come away from your vaginal walls, making it really easy to remove. If you just pull down, it's gonna be like a really annoying experience. So remember to pinch, then remove. Simply empty the blood into the toilet if that's the situation you're in. And like I said, I will carry a reusable water bottle and I pour it over my cup. I sometimes give it a wipe, making sure that there's no tissue on the outside. Oftentimes I don't bother to wipe it though. And I then reinsert straight away. So mm. it's just, you've got to understand that it's, it can be, I've got, I've got people who got it right first time, second time. I also know people who took six months to get it right because they were trying all these different variables. And that's why I think you have to be committed to it. For whatever reason, you might be coming at it from a health perspective, environmental, social, whichever thing is, is your, your driver to change, just remind yourself of that when you are going through what might be a frustrating process and enjoy the journey. Enjoy learning more about your body. Enjoy getting more comfortable with your menstrual blood, with your vagina, with, with menstruation as, a, as, as an experience because I think aside from all of the environmental benefits and the health benefits of using a cup, and by that, I mean not exposing your body to toxic traditional products. This product as a tool for empowerment, not just of yourself, but of women and girls everywhere is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really mean it every time I use this product, every time I use it, I feel so badass. And I feel like I'm really doing my part in tackling menstrual taboos. Every time I or my blood in the toilet and I see it and I'm not scared or grossed out by it. I know that I have contributed to tackling the taboos that subjugate our sisters across the world. And I think that's a really motivating factor as well when it comes to, to this journey when you're using for the first time. I used to, like before I used the cup, my a friend was like, you know, the menstrual cup changed my life. And then I was like, okay, I don't, I don't believe you're so dramatic, but I... After using it, I think I, I became the person that was like, yeah, the menstrual cup changed my life. But that said, I also took like some time. Like, even now, I think that I'm still trying to figure out, you know, like with using like new cups, how do I not like leak, you know? And then there's, th there's that whole issue of like, sometimes I get cramps and like, when you get cramps, you just don't want to put anything up there. So it's just like working around and like knowing what is the best for you at, whatever point of time in your life right which then leads me to my next question in that how do we know like let's say um across all the menstrual health products that are available out there how do we figure out what works the best for us because we're not going to be like the menstrual cup changed my life everybody should use it right i think the first step is understanding what we deserve we deserve periods that aren't smelly we deserve periods that aren't sticky that don't cause us infections that don't make us itch that don't make us not want to go out and socialize or prevent us from doing sports we deserve transparency over the materials that are going into our products so we know that aside from all of those tangible things they aren't causing us underlying long-term health conditions that's the baseline of what we deserve. So if you are going through any of those things, experiencing any of that, those tangible symptoms, or you don't know what your period care is made of, you're not sure that it's truly safe, 
then you should make the switch mm. because take it from me i i know enough now having done so many years of research that when you do find the product that's right for you you can have a positive experience of menstruation and so defining what and what we deserve is the important first step and then i think just acknowledging that we are so deeply conditioned to be fearful of our own bodies that it is going to take time to unlearn that conditioning. You might feel really empowered and you might be really proud of yourself for making a switch to like a better pad option. And that's amazing. Celebrate that. Be thankful for that. And just acknowledge that the more you exist in this space, the more that you get comfortable and value your the health of your menstrual health, um, the more you value learning more about the environmental impacts of period care products, that you will slowly unlearn all those years of conditioning. But it's not easy. Yeah, I just want to inspire everybody who's watching or listening to this to be invested in this mission to make periods better whether you menstruate or not, we all live on the same planet and we all know somebody that menstruates. So by you learning more about periods, being cooler about this natural process that so many people go through, you can really have a direct impact on climate action, on gender equality, on the health and well-being of the people that you love. So it's really important that we all work together to bust those outdated menstrual taboos. Menses, 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 menses. It's so important to understand your body, guys. It can really, really, really make your life better. Lula Naturals is having a month-long virtual workshop called The Vagina Dialogues starting next month and something private is going to be involved. They're going to be conducting really in-depth classes around the female anatomy, so if you thought this episode was interesting, <clears throat> which you should... I can guarantee that you're going to find the workshops hosted by Luna Naturals super cool and super informative. We're proud Luna Naturals ambassadors and we'll be speaking on some of their online panels during their event, The Vagina Dialogues. So do make sure to check out the event which we have linked in our episode description or you can find out more on our Instagram at somethingprivatepod. Otherwise, feel free to reach me at nicole at somethingprivate.fm for more information. This episode with Luna Naturals is the first of our exploration into sexual health for this season. Tune in next week for more.